concept of church is so simple in scripture. There's no bells and whistles to it. It's, it's profound, it's deep, it's theologically and existentially profound, but at the same time, it's so simple, it's not dramatic. You know, it's the kind of thing that's so easy to miss because it's, it's so simple. It's people, you know, it's people mm. who've been called out, who are gathering in homes, who are building the kingdom of God, a priesthood of all believers who are using their gifts. Say the word and I will Set my feet upon the sea Till I'm dancing in the deep Oh peace be still You are here so it is well Even when my eyes can't see I will trust the voice that speaks Welcome to Our Faith Journey, a podcast that focuses on how to find joy and purpose in an abundant relationship with Christ. My name is Joe Chang, and I've noticed that most Christians today struggle to develop a personal connection with God. This podcast will share practical ways on how to foster a relationship with Christ so that you can experience lasting joy. Hey, I just want to start by saying thank you so much for tuning into this podcast, and it just means so much to me that you find this content meaningful and relevant to your life. I hope these conversations continue to help all of us as we continue on our faith journey. And it's been about a month since I've been back in the U.S. and so much has changed here in the States. I mean, I honestly miss so many things about life before COVID, you know, and there are days where I just lack motivation and energy to move forward. Yet I rest in the knowledge that God is good no matter what happens and the final ending is victory in Jesus. So I really hope that you're doing all right and staying safe and healthy during this time. Hey, and welcome to the third episode of the Peace Be Still series. And as you all know, COVID-19 has changed our lives in so many ways and it's you know left us feeling fearful and uncertain at times about how to move forward. And so this new podcast series is focusing on deepening our trust and faith in God and also rethinking the way we are called to minister to those around us. And my hope is that this podcast series will provide some meaningful encouragement to you as we navigate these difficult times. Hey, on today's episode, I bring on Pastor Marcos Torres to talk about rethinking church in light of COVID-19. You know, I came across Pastor Marcos because he's the host also of a podcast called The Story Church Podcast, and he has some amazing content when it comes to this topic. And I really wanted him to share some of his thoughts with you. You know, some things we talk about include the problems that COVID-19 exposes in our churches, you know, the opportunities for positive changes and ways in which our churches can redefine what they're all about. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Marcos. So really excited to have on the show, Pastor Marcos. Pastor Marcos, welcome to the podcast. Oh man, thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate uh, being here and looking forward to just hanging out, man. Yes. Hey man, can you just share a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from and what you're doing right now? Sure. So a little bit about myself. I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, That's my uh, home state and uh, grew up just 20 minutes south of Manhattan, actually, Um, just, just across the Hudson River. And uh, the high school that I went to, you could see the Twin Towers from there. Um, just Whoa. The yeah. 
Um, so 9-11 was, uh, was a shocking day. Uh, front row tickets, front row seats to, to the catastrophe that that was. Um, how, just curious, how old were you when that happened? Uh, how old was I? I was in 11th grade, I'm pretty sure. So I must have been oh, okay. about 16. Yeah. 16, 17-ish. Yeah, that? no, definitely 16. Yeah, yeah. How old were you? I was four, man. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Let's date ourselves. Ah, no, let's not do this, man. I feel so old now. Oh, snap. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so that's So I grew up in Jersey. Um, my family is from Puerto Rico. So I'm originally... Um, you know, I, I wasn't born on the island, but my whole family and, you know, church I went to was Spanish, you know, so a very, very Puerto Rican upbringing. Um, and then, you know, make a long story short, I live in Australia now. Uh, so I've been all over the place, man. I live in Australia now. And uh, this is where I've been for almost about the last six years. And this is where, this is where I do ministry. And what, what full-time, capacity? Full-time pastor, like, that is, yeah. There Sorry, go, go on. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was going to ask you, like, what, what capacity? Like, you said ministry. And then you yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, pastor. Yep. Awesome. Got three churches. Um, one is a church plant that I've, um, we're working on right now. Um, church plant that's more specifically designed to connect with secular culture. Um, mm. And the other two, um, they're established churches in the sense that, you know, I didn't start them. They've been there for some time. Um, amazing churches that I'm working with at the moment as well. So yeah, just the three of those, they keep me on my toes, man. They keep me pretty busy. Dude, that's so awesome. I mean, I'm glad I brought you on the show because today we're talking about church, right? But right uh, <laughs> church in a, in a different way, because as we know, like COVID has just changed so much hmm. about church, right? Like, yeah, I was listening to your episode about rethinking church and I was like, wow, like that's that's some really powerful thoughts. And I mean, mm. I think. Uh, yeah, like at, at least for me at church, right, like we can no longer meet in communities anymore. And I think that's mm. such a fundamental change that um, mm. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I just want to hear from you, like, how have you seen the church like affected by this crisis? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, man. Um, you know, as, as in everything, there's, uh, there's a positive and negative effects. Um, and so, you know, I haven't seen too much of the negative, although um, I do get stories <laughs> that I encounter from time to time of people who um, are, are more navigating negative scenarios. But in my immediate context, there's been a lot of positive. I've seen leaders mm. just rise up to the challenge, rise up to the occasion. Um, invest in, um, you know, people just saying, Hey, look, you know, I'll get a zoom account. I'll run a Sabbath school, you know, um, those types of things. And, and people just generally working really hard to stay connected. Cause that's the most difficult part of this is, uh, the, right. the, the ease in which we can like disconnect from one another. Um, mm. and so, uh, you know, I challenged my leaders at one point, um, because when this whole thing started, uh, I, I ran into an article from the, um, um, New Orleans, when the, when the whole sort of levee broke and there was that big flood. Um, mm. And the article was just sort of um, showcasing how there were some churches that never recovered from that. Um, wow. And so the reason being is because the town was destroyed and people had to leave. Um, the churches were no longer meeting in the usual capacity. Uh, but a lot of churches also didn't put forth the effort to stay connected, to keep the members connected. Um, although I don't know, I don't even think zoom was a thing back then, although we did definitely had internet, but I'm not sure if zoom was popular or not, but 
people just yeah. didn't stay connected. And by the time that the churches did get to regather and their you know properties have been rebuilt and stuff, um, many churches never actually bounced back, and some lost up to sixty percent of their members. Wow! Um, in the aftermath of that. And so, you know, I challenged my leaders and said, look, um, you know, obviously these are, you know, it's a little bit different in Adventism because, you know, like if you go to a Baptist church and it closes down because it got hit by a flood, you just go to the Methodist one across the street and hang out there, you know? So in Adventism, it's like if you're an Adventist, you don't really have much options. (laughs) Um, Mm. But it's a lesson to take away anyways that we need to stay connected. And that's one of the most beautiful and positive things I've seen is people working really hard to stay connected particularly looking after the elderly who they know are not very tech savvy, um, contacting them, um, walking through instructions on the phone, getting them set up, mm. um, making sure they can join in Bible classes and stuff. So keep the discipleship in the community going. All that's been really, really cool. I just want to go on that train of thought. Like I've seen this too, like the connection pieces is difficult, right? This is like a huge challenge that we face now that like we can't meet in our usual spaces Mm. right so how have you seen i know you've touched upon it but can you like dive into like how has your churches like found alternate ways to connect or like different means of connecting during this time yeah yeah um one of the things that I'm, I'm blessed with is that all of my churches have a high degree of um, tech savvy young people <laughs> in them. Uh, so one of the churches, the Victoria Park Church, is mostly students, um, uh. a whole lot of students because it's we're in a college town, university town. So there's a lot of students. And then the other church up in Joondalup, um, also a lot of students because it's also just across the street from a massive university. Um, And so having those young creatives there has been really, really cool because we've been able to transition into a digital space without much difficulty. Um, There are a few people in the church who needed help navigating what that looked like and how it works. But for the most part, most people in the church kind of were familiar with, you know, how those things work already. So, you know, to a large degree, I think I'm blessed. You know, I talked to some of my friends whose churches are pretty much, 95% 95% gray. And it's like, how do you help them you know, plug into a space that they don't generally plug into, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So I think the challenge is more difficult in those scenarios. So I'm, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Uh, but that, that's been, you know, the, the way in which we basically did it. Um, it was a very, very simple structure. We just met together as a board and said, look, we are going to continue to run our discipleship um, spaces or discipleship programs exactly like we run them during regular church. We're simply going digital, you know? Mm. Um, and so, you know, we didn't run around and say, you know, Oh, you know, when would you guys like to meet or when would you like to meet? And, um, that's usually a recipe for disaster because you'll never get people who agree, you know? So mm. we just said, look, uh, care group was on Friday nights. It's still on Friday nights. Sabbath school was at 9:30 AM. It's still at 9:30 AM. And here's the link. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we yeah. got, you know, facilitators who plugged in and, I can't say every single person um, from our church is is attending each of the digital groups, um, but it's getting we're seeing the numbers increase, uh, mm. which is a good thing. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, I guess, the different type of churches out there, right? And you mentioned like churches that are like elderly. Um, I want to also talk about maybe just like churches that are just used to just meeting, you know, on Saturday, right? Having mm. a service potluck 
or Sunday, sorry, like whatever church you go to and then just like a meal and then that's it. Right. So now that that's no longer there, like, mm. and is church just now a live stream that we all watch on YouTube or, it, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe is there <laughs> another opportunity to do something different that maybe mm. like someone listening right now has never thought of like, what, what are maybe some different means of ministry now that church looks different now? Yeah. I think that's a brilliant question. Um, and I want to encourage you um, and, and those who are listening as well. Um, this will, this will probably be published after my next podcast gets published, but um, at the story church project, which is the podcast that I run, um, I've got an interview with Ira Myers coming up next week. Um, which again, if, if this is depending on when this is published, it may have already been published. So <laughs> you know, but the interview, yeah. Yeah. Interview with Ivor Myers um, called number one thing your church should do after the pandemic is uh, the title of the interview. And one of the things we talk about in the interview is what exactly is church? And, and I think that's the fundamental premise that we have to kind of um, orient ourselves toward is like, what are we talking about when we talk about church? And, you know, there's a lot of pastors who, who like to poke at that and authors and, you know, people in the church, influencers in the church who like to poke at that question. But the brilliancy of the present scenario is that it's no longer a guy on a stage poking at the question. We are now immersed within the deconstruction of everything we thought church was. You know, yes, we are immersed yes, yes. in it. And so it's like, okay, um, three him sandwiches, gone. <laughs> Pew, gone. I mean, I suppose you can try and reproduce a three him sandwich, but, you know, for the most part. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. ties, you know, like if you're wearing a suit and tie still, that's fine. But you know, for the most part, you know, gone, um, building, we're not meeting there anymore. So, you know, it's not technically gone, but we can, you know, to keep the chain of thought, we can say, well, that's gone too. So much of what we often tether to the idea of church is just kind of gone, you know? And so then the question mm. is, well, what exactly is church? Has church ceased to be? In the absence of a building, in the absence of a liturgy, in the absence of a dress code, in the absence of a formula and a program, has mm. church ceased to be? Um, and, and I think I would argue that it has not. In fact, church has been, um, we're beginning to see what church actually is mm. for the first time in a really, really long time. Because what we've done with the idea of church is we've taken the biblical concept and then we've added all this stuff to it. And what COVID-19 has done, it's stripped all the stuff away. <laughs> and now it's like, now is a time where we actually get to sit back and think, okay, so then what exactly is church without all the add-ons? Mm. Because the church is still going mm -hmm. without the building and without all this other stuff, right? The church is still on the move. The kingdom of God is still being built, mm -hmm. but none of the stuff that we usually fight to the death over is remains. And so yes, it's like, yes. Yeah. So I, I think it's a brilliant season. It's like, you know, to, to answer your question, I think we'd have to first go back and ask the question, what exactly is church to begin with? And when we begin to unravel like church, the concept of church is so simple in scripture. There's no bells and whistles to it. It's, it's profound. It's deep. It's theologically and existentially profound, but at the same time, it's so simple. It's not dramatic. You know, it's the kind of thing that's so easy to miss because it's, it's so simple. It's people, you know, it's mm. people who've been called out 
who are gathering in homes, who are building the kingdom of God, the priesthood of all believers who are using their gifts. Um, and, and we find ourselves in that space now. And I love it because I don't have to preach about it anymore. We're living it. You know, like we're in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was actually, my friends and I were dreaming about like what we would want church to look like before all of this hit. Right. And mm-hmm. we were thinking about like, oh, like maybe let's like think about the idea of house churches, you know, cause we really mm-hmm. wanted that like intentional, like community and bonding that sometimes we don't have in like bigger churches but like yeah. i mean now we're all in our home literally mm. yeah <laughs> like the churches are our family you know That's like right yeah and so i'm like man like if that if these are the people that are god are calling me to serve then like mm. you know my family is like a very important like that's like number one for me right now other than god yeah. you know the yeah. community that i need to serve um, yeah. I, I wanted to, uh, ask you, I remember that you talked about change, um, in, in your podcast episode about church. Right. And I think you were touching on these things too. And what you said earlier, like from your perspective, what are some positive changes we can get out of this situation? Like positive changes that you could see churches moving forward in, um, yeah. after yeah. all of this. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question, man. Um, there's a lot of answers to that. Um, I'd say in a sense, I think it was Ben Lundquist, if I pronounced his surname properly. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ben Lundquist, something like that. Anyway, um, he posted something on Facebook at the beginning of the month. He said, I've seen more creativity in the last few weeks than I've seen in the last 10 years. (laughs) Mercy. Uh, Yeah. So you know, that's just such a cool thing. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's tragic, comical and beautiful all at the same time. Mm. Um, because the truth is for a long time, we've sort of just operated according to this, this, um, banal pattern of, you know, Francis Chan talks about it. You know, church today is you go to a building, someone hands you a bulletin, you sit down, you sing some songs, someone preaches maybe a good sermon, maybe not. You say a prayer, you go home. Um, right, and then he right. asks this thought-provoking question. He says, is this all God intended for us? Like, is, like this is it. Like, you're telling me that this is what Jesus, this is what he wanted to birth in the, in, you know, sort of like in the, in the collateral of his death. He wanted to birth a program, a <laughs> building, you know? And it's like, yeah, you know, it's not like to be dramatic and, you know, hyperbolic, but it's just, we have to think about it because we get so comfortable in these patterns and these, you know, um, status quo, basically. Mm. And it's, it's tragic because God has something so much bigger for us. You know, and it's like, if we can rediscover, if we can, if we can rediscover church without all the add-ons, without all the, you know, the chemicals and the pesticides and the GMO, you know, like organic, raw, <laughs> raw church. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think as we begin to rediscover that, we, we are going to see uh, a resurgence of what God actually has in mind. And this is what my podcast interview with Ivan Myers is about. So I won't go down that track because he, he gives a Bible study in this podcast interview I just did with him. Mm. And so, um, I want to, 
I want to invite you to come listen to the Bible study. So I don't take either. Yes. <laughs> I'll put the um, link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Awesome, man. But yeah, um, so I'd say, you know, there's, there's that and, and, and there's a sense, you know, like uh, I, I always think back to um, Viktor Frankl, who's the, the author of the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, a brilliant book if you've never read it. And Viktor Frankl was a, uh, he was a Holocaust survivor mm. and a psychiatrist. And so when he was in, um, in a concentration camp, he, he spent time in uh, Dukau and uh, a little bit of time in uh, Auschwitz. But he, he, he describes the scene in his book um, where all of the prisoners were, which were basically, you know, Jews and gypsies and um, undesirables in, in Nazi Germany. They were, they were um, led into this concentration camp and everything was taken from them. Everything. Mm. Um, their watches, their clothes, you know, if they had a gold tooth, yeah, like everything was, ta- their wedding band, everything was taken from them. And he, they were led into this room, this massive shower room. Um, and it was like all these naked men and Victor standing there with absolutely nothing. Um, he's been stripped of everything he ever pinned his identity on. It's gone. And he's just there. And it's just him in his absolute most naked, raw state. Mm. And he, he, he wrestled with the question of what his identity was in a scenario in which none of the external things that he associated his identity with existed anymore Mm. and i think that's a question that's not just personal for us as individual people for us but for us collectively as a church it's like what is the church when all of the accolades and opulence that we've added to it is stripped away what is the church you know when you don't have a sound system and and what is the church when you don't have a laser show and what is the church when you don't have a band who's been rehearsing all week long you know, and what is the church when, you know, you don't have a projector and, you know, <laughs> it's not that I'm against those things, but it's like, let's think about what we are in our most naked state and let's, and then let that thing be the, let that be the thing that shines the loudest, the most, you know, that sounds the loudest as opposed mm. to all the other things that we tend to associate with it. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question, but yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing things in the church during this time that uh, I think are absolutely beautiful because people are starting to rediscover the central tenets of what makes church church. And again, going back to scripture, it's fellowship. Mm. You know, it's, it's, um, it's fellowship. It's the word. You know, I, I always, I challenge my churches with this sometime. Ellen White in, um, I think it's in the book, uh, Selected Messages. I can't remember though precisely, but she has a point where she says um, that churches should not expect a pastor to preach every weekend. In fact, churches should not expect a sermon every weekend, period. Wow. And so it's like, in her mind, it's like, oh, so if we're not preaching a sermon every weekend, then what are we doing? And her answer is, we're sharing testimonies. You know, we're talking about what God's done in our life and, and, we're, and we're sharing with each other and building each mm. other up. And, mm. and she says that if a pastor preaches at his church every weekend, it makes his church weaker. It weakens his church. Um, and so, but of course it's so convenient, right. To just like, Hey, he's the, he's the professional who gets paid to perform every weekend. So we just let, you know, <laughs> preach as a nice sermon pastor. Um, right. and I like preaching. So, you know, I'm not saying 
I'm not complaining, secretly complaining about preaching, but um, I love preaching. But yeah, like we, we are starting to rediscover, you know, the value of fellowship, the value of shared growth rather than everything being relegated to the one person or the few people whose gifts alone we show up to observe. Now we all are in a position where we can all use our gifts and we can all share our stories and we can all preach a sermon, you know, um, mm. maybe not in the same format as before, but just by sharing what God's doing in our life, by sharing what we're discovering in his word. It's powerful, man. It's powerful. And um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, bro. I hope I, I hope I, I didn't rant on for too long. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, man. I think it's, it's, I'm just glad that you're sharing your thoughts on this. You know, we're all just trying to process and yeah. understand what to do now. Like this is really thinking about it. I'm like, wow, this is, the biggest like world crisis since maybe like world war two, like mm. it hasn't mm. like the vast number of countries that are affected by this, you know, we, th- yeah. we can think of nine 11, like, wow, mm-hmm. that like really affected America, but it, it didn't really affect like other countries mm. per se. It's like, I don't know if my grandma's going to survive. Right. And mm-hmm. now we're here in this moment, like, man, like if we can't physically meet, I think that's something that, is troubling a lot of Christians right now. Like not being able to be in the building that they've been so used to Mm -hmm. being able to go to. Right. So I wanted to touch on, you said like fellowship, right. Which I totally agree with. And then you also said like, you know, we might have to think of new formats of course. And Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned earlier and I, and I'm familiar with like the concept of a care group or like a small Mm -hmm. group. Um, Can you just like, explain to whoever's listening right now, like how can a care group be something that is beneficial during this time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because when you, when you think about a care group, um, or a small group, I mean, people call them all kinds, cell groups, small group, yeah, 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 group yeah. I don't know, like it's a group of people, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I often joke around with, um, with my friends and say, you know, when secular people get together, they, they, they don't like, oh, this is bar group one. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just a group of friends, man. Like, they always have a label to it. But, right, right. Um, when, when, we, when we talk about these small groups, um, I think that's one of the beautiful aspects that can emerge from this experience is that we begin to rediscover the, the power of the decentralized church gathering. Yes. where it's not a program and it's not about a program, but it's about people. And that's the beauty of a, of a small group. But what I would say to people, particularly when it comes to small groups is don't attempt to recreate in the small group, what you have in a big program. And I've been to small groups like this and it's, it's disturbing, you know, like you walk into the small group at someone's house and they've, and of course people aren't in each other's house right now. So, but even for the future, when people are starting to gather in homes again, I've been to small groups where you walk into the small group and they've lined chairs up like pews and they got a little, <laughs> they got a little lectern at the front where one guy, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> like it's a small group, but it's like 10 people here, you know, go sit on the couches and, and chat with each other. So yeah, like I would, I would say, you know, like if there's one thing that you can do, that's sure going to damage the, the, the meaningfulness of your small group is trying to recreate a formal sort of, you know, format, like forget the formal format. It's, you know, the Bible doesn't mention the formal format. We made that up. We can get rid of it just as easily. 
But, you know, when it comes to, uh, well, I want to emphasize, you know, like if it's in the word as Carlton, I think is Carlton P. Bird, uh, breath of life guy. He said this mm. ages ago. He's like, if it's in the word, it deserves to be heard. It's like, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. And, and so if it's not in the word, <laughs> you know, it's like, we can rethink that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, it's not the 10 commandments. So, um, so anyways, you know, when it comes to small group, I would say to, to people is, you know, don't, and don't, don't treat it like a, um, like a formal sort of academic Bible study where it's like, all right, everyone, you know, here's, uh, you know, Gerald is leading our group today. And then Gerald, oh, and I see this in Sabbath school because Sabbath school is essentially a small group. I see this in Sabbath school all the time. Uh, uh, the one guy opens the lesson. He's like, well, now we're going to go through Monday and okay, that's done. Let's go through Tuesday. Okay, that's done. Let's go through Wednesday. And it's like, if you pike up with a question, it's like, it gets answered really quickly. All right, now we're going to move on to Thursday. And it's like, where's the conversation? Where's the mutual sharing? You know, right. Um, and so, if we're gonna like decentralizing the church program to small groups, isn't just about taking a mass of people and breaking them up into smaller groups of people. It's about taking the idea that spirituality belongs to one person and allowing it to belong to everyone. And so, mm. what this means is, in your small group, you can have a facilitator. You can have someone whose gift it is to keep a conversation going. But it should be a mutual learning experience, yes. you know, where I get to hear your story and I get to learn from what you're saying and vice versa. And so effectively, what we have to do in, in scenarios like this is we have to create an environment where not only is mutual learning sort of like the, the currency of the group, but you, you get rid of... And, and I'm, I'm trying to think of how to formulate this in a way that makes sense. Um, you get rid of the the ambiance that a good Bible study requires people to always be saying something crazy deep and profound and unknown. You know, um, <laughs> it's that's not a good Bible study. I mean, if 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 you're like a theology nerd and you want to get together with other theology nerds and do that, that's fine. But in a small group yeah. setting, the ambiance should be uh, an ambiance of stories. You know, a, a place where you know, everyone can share and contribute something meaningful without feeling. And I see this happen all the time in small groups in Sabbath schools where you have the theology nerds who banter, like there's like two or three of them. And like the other 10 people just sit around and observe the, <laughs> the bantering. It's like, no, yeah. don't do that. If you're a theology nerd like me, get together with your theology nerd friends at a separate time. But for small group settings, it should be an ambiance of stories, you know, where someone can share the simplest, most theologically unsurprising thing, and you find beauty and and comfort and joy in that, and you can you can expand on it, and you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, those are some things I think make small groups meaningful, you know. So mm. spend time praying together, spend time sharing stories, um, you know. Don't just like, oh, Gerald, you have the group today. Here's, you know, you, you're going to lead it. And then it just becomes a sermon, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I've experienced that. that. Like, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, this has just turned into another sermon. Like, exactly. I, I know I'm about to experience a sermon in a few hours. Like, yeah, like yeah. what's the point, you know? And, exactly. I, I, and then I've also experienced like small groups where, like, like you said, someone's skilled enough to facilitate discussion, right? And mm -hmm. I think the beauty of uh, 
Zoom and maybe now like virtual small groups, like if, if you have a like small enough group that if it's the facilitation is done, is done right, like, like you can hear from everyone. And mm. I think that's so beautiful because we can learn from one another. You know, it's not just me talking down to you. It's like, mm. hey, here's my thought. And then you push back and then we push back and we're trying to like yeah. mold this common idea together and we're all trying to grow and understand. Um, yeah. So yeah, for that's anyone right. that's listening, like maybe this is a time to start a small group, you know, like you mm. don't have to wait for your church to put some initiative. You can just grab a few friends and, yep. you know, spend time. And that's right. And let me tell you as a pastor, I want people to just start stuff. Mm. Like, you know, I can't, I can't be the, you know, sort of like the catalyst for every new thing that happens at church. I've got three churches. And most of your pastors have that. And if, even if they have one church, what it basically means is they've got all these families that they're looking after. They've got their own family. They've got sermons. They got, you know, a typical sermon takes about 20 hours a week. You know, like there's so many things going on. And so what I often say to people, look, if you have a burden on your heart to start a small group, um, to start an outreach project, anything, whatever, like, please go for it. And I'm here to support you and equip you and resource you if you need it, you know, but I would say to anyone listening, if, if you've got that, you know, in your mind, don't wait on the pastor, man, just, you know, let them know, Hey, I'm going to start saying, you know, like some of the youth in my church recently, um, one of my churches without any instigation on my part whatsoever, um, just decided, Hey, you know, we've got our small groups, things happening. Um, and so we've got a few of us who live together in the same house. We're going to, we're going to film some songs and, and play them on Sabbath morning so people can tune in and sing along and stuff in their homes. And it's like, I never asked them to do that. They just sent me a, a link and they're like, Hey, we're trying this. What do you think? And I was over the moon. I was like, yes, you know, <laughs> like, thank you. Because there's a million things I would do if I had the time. I don't, but if you have it and you feel the burden, go for it. And I mm. guarantee you, your pastor feels that way. And if he doesn't, maybe. Maybe he's weird. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, uh, I, I feel like we've touched on this, but I, I just want to bring up the specific topic because I think it's pretty, uh, I, yeah, a challenge. Um, loneliness. Um, mm. We're all stuck at home and, and maybe some people aren't surrounded by the most supportive or loving or even Christian families. Mm. Um, uh, what would what would you say to someone who's feeling really lonely right now or struggling with loneliness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, um, there is a degree in which our very best efforts to stay connected are going to they're gonna they're gonna come up short, and and the reason being is that we we are we are physical beings. We, we are not just, you know, you know we, don't, we don't just disseminate ideas over a screen and that somehow satisfies our need for community. We are physical beings. Mm. Um, and so there is a degree to which, you, you know, we, we almost have to come to terms and make peace with the fact that for as long as this season lasts, it's not going to be ideal. And, mm. and, and I think that's, that's one of the, the things that I'm, because I'm an extrovert, I like being around people Same. and I'm getting a bit of cabin fever and, you know, yes. getting a bit annoyed. Um, but 
But at the same time, I also have to recognize that in situations like this, it's often how you respond to the challenge that defines your, you know, your experience and not the challenge itself. Mm. Um, and so part of that for me is embracing the fact, coming to peace, making peace with the fact that after all my best efforts to stay connected, it's not the same because I'm not physically with people, you know, apart from my immediate family. I'm not physically with my friends. Um, and, and that's difficult, you know, but you have to be able to, you have to be able to soothe yourself through that experience, you know, and, and to develop that sense of, you know, um, yeah, self-soothing and, and, and navigate that experience as best as possible. Um, or else you, you know, you, you might start having panic attacks if, <laughs> if you don't soothe yourself. Um, yeah. the other thing that's helped me as I think about it is, um, I, I've sort of, um, and, and I'm not comparing suffering here, but just giving myself a little bit of perspective. Um, I'm thinking of the, the, the church during the, um, the Spanish flu, mm. uh, where there was no zoom. And it was like, man, that was some serious social isolation, you know, um, maybe you could make a phone call here and there, but you know, the opportunity to hop on a computer screen with 10 other people from your church and talk about the Sabbath school lesson did not exist. Yeah. And I just tell myself, you know what, if the grace of God got them through that, <laughs> um, this scenario, at least there's that one thing that we've got, you know what I mean? It's not ideal. It's not the best, but it's, we've got something they didn't. And if God got them through, he'll get us through. Um, mm. But at the same time, I think that the thing that we can take away from this and the thing I hope no one forgets after having gone through this scenario is that church isn't about programs. It's about people right. because you can watch a program online, you know, and mm. the difficulty um, of, of Christianity over the last few decades is Christianity has moved and settled into a Western consumeristic mindset where you attend church for the program. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Oh, which church has the best kids program? I'm going to go to that one, you know, and which church has the best worship program? I'm going to go to that one or, or which church has the best preacher. Um, and, and so what we're doing is we're shopping for an experience We're we're shopping for a product and it's like, what is the product? Well, the product is, the program. And, and I hear it all the time. Oh, I didn't like this in the program. And I didn't like that. And this person, this, and this person, that, and the sermon, this. And it's like, it's like people who have just been to the movie theater and they didn't like the actor and they didn't like the way the movie ended. And, you know, they're complaining about the program. They're, they're complaining about the product that they invested time and money into. Uh, and the product wasn't up to the, the quality that they had expected. And it's like, this is what church has effectively become. You know, it's, it's become a product. Um, Jesus is someone who we market, someone who Oof. we sell, you know, and, and, we, and we purchase it at whim, you know. And if I don't like the way this church is going, well, then, you know, I just um, move my membership over to the other club. <laughs> um, mm. And it's like, okay, um, how does that, like, how does that in any way, shape or form reflect what God had in mind when 
he called the people of Israel and said, you are going to be the, 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 basically the repository, the repositories of my character. Mm. You are going to reveal to the nations, the truth about who I am. Right. Um, you have the fall of man in Genesis three and in Genesis three twenty one, God shows up and he clothes Adam and Eve with these skins. And we know that this represented the Messiah, right? The sacrifice of Jesus and mm-hmm. the sacrificial system sort of emerges out of that with these lambs who are being sacrificed. And they all point back to Genesis three twenty one that there is a God in heaven who does not demand sacrifice. He provides sacrifice. And this story is the story that God wants to tell to the world. So he calls Israel, tell the story to the world, right? Reveal to the world the truth about the Genesis 3.21 God, right? Who provides sacrifice. I'm not like the pagan gods, right? He calls Abraham. He's like, hey, you know, I'm not like the pagan gods around you. He calls all, all, all of these, you know, um, people uh, who, you know, Moses and Joshua and David, you know, all these. And, and through each of them, Jacob, and, you know, through each of them, he's revealing snippets of himself over against the context in which they live and the spaces they inhabit. And he's revealing constantly, like, I am not like the gods of your fathers or the gods of this land. I'm fundamentally different. And this is Israel's mission. Israel's mission is to be a, a, a light, right, to the nations, revealing this is who the real God is and this is what he is like. Um, now, of course, Israel turns his back on God. We, we know the story and uh, Jesus comes and, you know, he gives birth to the church and the church, according to the New Testament, is the new Israel. And so the church's mission is the same mission that Israel had. The church's mission is to reveal the truth about God's character of love to a world that is inundated with lies about who he is. And mm. how do you reveal the truth about God's character of love, right? Uh, and this is something that I had to work with one of my churches because there was a general sense in the church that truth is a propositional idea that people just need to be told. And you hear this in churches sometimes, oh, people just need the truth. Um, and it's like, well, what do you mean by that? You know. And so I had one person tell me, oh, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, caring for people and meeting their needs, that's all nice. But at the end of the day, people just need the truth. That's got to be the main thing. Um, and I was like, okay, so what, what exactly is truth then? Tell me what truth is. And, and I challenged this notion within my church. And, and to their credit, um, many of them took it to heart and, and made a shift. Because if truth is a propositional idea then the best way in which you disseminate propositional ideas is you communicate them academically, orally, you know, um, in written form, whatever, you know, you shove books in people's letterboxes, you walk around with a blowhorn, you publish articles. This is how you communicate propositional ideas. But then Jesus said something really weird. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is truth is not a propositional idea. Truth is a person. Ah. And so if truth is a propositional idea, you communicate propositional ideas in impersonal ways. But if truth is a person, how do you communicate that? Personal ways. That's it. You cannot communicate a personal truth with impersonal methodologies. You, you can only communicate a personal truth when you incarnate with people and you live with them and you do life with them and you care about them. It's relationship, right? Relationship. 
Um, and I think what, one of the most brilliant opportunities that we have in this season is that we are able to see the depths of how church is not meant to be a program that we mm. consume. Mm. Church is people, not programs. And you, you do life with people by incarnating with them, by caring about them, by loving them, you know, by, by, by getting, becoming intimate with them and, you know, like having intimate connection with people. And how do you develop intimacy? There's another question sometimes people, you know, like how do you develop intimacy in a church? Well, the, you have to build memories. That's how you develop intimacy, right? When you have shared memories, you, intimacy grows. And how do you have shared memories? Well, you can't have shared memories that are meaningful if you're just doing the same old thing every weekend. That doesn't create <laughs> shared memories, you know? Like meaningful shared memories are created when you do meaningful things that are out of the ordinary. Yes, you know? yes. Um, spending time together, laughing together, you know? doing silly things together. You know, I love games nights. I don't get to go to them all the time because, you know, I'm having three churches, but games nights, you know, camps, church camps, you know, like just doing things, removing ourselves from the humdrum of the, the religiosity of the, uh, of the, you know, the typical church service and, and its formulas. You step outside of that and you do something that creates memories. It builds intimacy. And so, yeah, like this is my long-winded answer. But essentially, the main point that I'm getting at is that, um, you know, we combat loneliness. A again, first of all, recognizing the scenario that we currently occupy is not ideal. And we, there has to be a sense in which we come to peace with that. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, also counting our blessings that we, we do have a greater capacity to stay connected than people back in the Spanish flu did. And that's a good thing. We, sh we should focus on the good things. Mm -hmm. But when it comes time to reconnect for our churches to regather that this experience that the pain that we experience the pain of separation would move us to refuse to go back to program centric church because it was never meant to be that way and maybe it took pain to enlighten us where sermons failed but that's my call for the church it's like man you know when this is over, let's orient ourselves to be a people-driven church because that's what it's, that's what it's about, you know? Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was so much for me to chew on too. Wow. Uh, <laughs> my bad, bro. My bad. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I think I, I agree with you with my frustration with like a program-centric church and... Um, at least from the positive experiences of church that I can think of, right? Like you said, it, it wasn't just a two-hour thing that mm. we're all used to the, the formula. It was, it was meaningful experiences that came through different things that we did together and spent time mm. with, you know, literal fellowship. And so, yeah, I, 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 uh, I hope that this season in my life helps me recognize you know, when I, when, when we can all meet again, that I don't just settle for status quo anymore. Mm. Just, just go back to what it was before. Yeah. I hope Christianity doesn't do that. Like we can That's move right. forward through this and, and take the lessons we've learned, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I could not agree more, man. <laughs> I think it would be the greatest tragedy would be for us to just revert back. Mm. Yeah.
this is an opportunity for us to rediscover and recreate. And I really hope that we take it with both hands, you know? Mm. Pastor Marcos, thank you so much for your time. Um, before uh, end this episode, I usually ask this question. So as we continue on our faith journey, which is the theme of this podcast, what are some last words of advice you'd like to give to whoever is listening right now? Yeah. Last words of advice. That's always fun because it's, it's, you feel like you're on your deathbed and this is your final <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> to. <Yeah. laughs> it's a deeply existential moment when someone on a podcast <laughs> says, what are your last words? Um, yeah, look, I'd say because the theme of this podcast is, you know, this sort of spirituality, the, 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 the you know, the, sort of the foundations of that and exploring that in a broad sort of Christian context. Mm. I just come back to the, to the, to the space that we're currently in with this whole COVID-19 craziness and the insanity of it all. Um, and I'd say, I, I'd, I'd say one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, it's, uh, it's on my Facebook wall. In fact, I'm going to click it and open it so I don't butcher it because it's such a good quote. There it's we by go. A man, there we go. By a man named Jim Rohn. And if you ever get to read or watch or listen to anything from Jim Rohn, he died some years ago, but he's a brilliant guy. He says this, um, and this has kind of been an inspiration for me. Um, I mean, this has been on my wall since before COVID-19, but it's been an inspiration for me through it. He says uh, in one of his books, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenges, wish for more wisdom. Um, hmm. And the reason why I find that meaningful is because, you know, what Jim Rohn is, is basically saying is you are going to have challenges in life. Um, life is suffering and it's, it's going to beat you up it's going to happen. And the tragedy is that a lot of times we spend a lot of energy wishing it wasn't like that. Yeah. Uh, and what Jim Rohn is saying is like, look, don't wish it wasn't like that. Instead, wish you had what it took to meet it, you know, and, 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 and make that a reality in your life. I like how um, Ellen White uses this language of meeting the challenges of life. She says it like meeting it heroically. It's the same language that Nietzsche had with the, with the whole concept of the, of the Ubermensch, right? Like meeting the challenges of life heroically. Um, and I would say in this present season, um, meet, meet the storm heroically. Like don't, don't allow it to beat you into a pulp where, where you just, you know, you just get tossed by the storm mercilessly. Mm -hmm. Remember that there is a God who is an anchor in the storm. Mm. And, anchor yourself in him and then find in the storm something beautiful to launch you into the next chapter of your life. Now I want to, I want to clarify that. Like, I'm not saying that this experience, you know, I've seen this a lot online and it's kind of annoying where people are like, Oh, it's COVID-19, you know, quarantine. Now you have no excuses, you know, no excuses to do X and Y and Z and you should lose that weight and you should read that book. I'm like, you know what? Chill out, people. You know, like people are trying to figure out. <laughs> people are just trying to survive right now, man. And, you know, so I'm not saying, <laughs> hey, 
you know, I don't want to be one of those annoying guys. It's like, hey, you're stuck at home all time, all, all day now. So now is the time for you to become your best possible self. It's like, no, you'll do well just to survive. <laughs> and and essentially, you know, especially parents who've got kids at home, like you're doing enough. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, it's a lot to take in. It's big changes. Don't overwhelm yourself. So I'm not saying I'm not saying that. I'm not I'm not trying to be like one of those type A gung ho people. All I'm saying is anchored in God, anchored in the hope that he gives us, we, we can meet the challenges heroically. And that might be in really small ways. It doesn't have to be something grand. We can meet the challenges heroically and emerge on the other side with something positive to bring with us. Um, mm. and, and not just, not just wounds, but, but maybe a crown or two. You know? Yeah. So that would be my, my final words on my deathbed. <laughs> hey man thanks so much for being on the show hey for whoever's listening how can we connect with you and what you're doing right now sure so um i run a project called the story church project um it's the storychurchproject.com is the website so that's the storychurchproject.com and you can find my instagram my facebook my twitter um, on there. It's, it's all there. So just go to that one place and I've got blogs there. My podcast is on there as well. Um, and also on Facebook, I have a group for um, more for Adventists. It's called the Adventist Postmodern Evangelism and Outreach Group. So anyone who is into reaching um, emerging Western culture and, and things like that, this is kind of like a group where we share resources, articles, books, and things with each other. Um, and just connect with each other. Yeah. So basically the story church project is about Adventism, redesigning Adventism to meet the challenges of the, um, emerging generations. And so that group is just kind of the space where we hang out on, on Facebook, but yeah, that's, that's how you find me. Or you can always just email me. It's a very simple email, pastor Marcos at the story church project.com. I think I will try to find that Facebook group later. So, hey, thank Sweet, you man. so much. Sweet, man. Come along. Join us, bro. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Gerald. It was, uh, it was an honor and a pleasure to, to be here with you today. Um, and in a couple weeks' time, uh, when my calendar clears up, I'll have you come on my podcast, man. Yes, dude. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, thank you again. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Wow. Pastor Marcos had a lot of wisdom on that episode. You know, one thing that hit me in this conversation was this quote. Uh, He said that the pain from this separation, you know, because of COVID-19, would move us to refuse to go back to program-centric church because it was never meant to be that way. And I really hope this conversation inspires you to really rethink what church means for you, and I pray that you can be a catalyst for positive changes in your church community. Hey, well, I hope you found this conversation meaningful to you and your life. And if you'd like to hear more content like this, just feel free to subscribe or follow on whatever podcast player you are using. And if you know of someone that could really benefit from this podcast episode, I'd really encourage you to send this episode to them. You know, my hope is that This podcast can be a resource of encouragement to you and for others as we navigate these difficult times. Hey, next week, we continue the Peace Be Still series by talking about rethinking campus ministries. You know, I realize that a lot of you guys are young adults and people that are maybe involved in this area, and a lot of things have changed ever since COVID-19. So I bring on a former guest, 
on the show, Kevin Strain, as he talks about how life has changed for him and his campus ministries team at La Sierra University. You know, I think this conversation is beneficial to not just those who are involved in campus ministries, but for anyone who is struggling to think of ways to minister to people during this time. So stay tuned for next week's episode. As always, remember the words of the great Beth Moore. To God, our journey is just as important as our destination. God bless and see you next time. I will trust the voice that speaks.